My name is Dr. Josephine Palermo and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. With co-host Dr. Ian Butterworth, we discuss why we are so busy and what can we do about it. So if you feel like you never have enough time, you should really listen to this. Hey Josie, how are you doing? I'm really good, Ian. I've been so busy. Me too. I was almost too busy to come to this podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, me too. I was almost too busy to uh, organise things for you. So this is what we're talking about today. <laughs> it's a culture of busyness. Uh, and because, you know, it plagues uh, our organisations a lot of people um, have this problem at the individual level. I have this problem at the individual level. People tell me I'm too busy or they have the perception that I'm too busy. And um, and some people wear it as a badge of honour. So we wanted to talk about it because we feel like it's a problem. And, and actually, I was looking at a... Uh, article from the Harvard Business Review called Beware of a Culture of Busyness. And uh, the academic research suggests that I was looking at an article from Harvard Business Review called A Culture of Busyness or Beware of a Culture of Busyness. And the academic research suggests that our days are really becoming more increasingly busy. And what they did, which was really fascinating, is they analysed holiday letters. So I guess this is very American, but this research, but they, they kind of looked at, well, what are people saying when they write to each other um, over the holidays? And the reference to crazy schedules um, has dramatically increase since the 1960s which is fascinating and then an analysis of the Gallup data by uh, Harvard Business School's Ashley uh, Willens found that and again this is American but it found that a percentage of employed Americans reported that they never have enough time and that rose from 70% in 2011 to 80% in 2018 and I can imagine that that's still the case you know, in the in into 2023, and in particular, wow. when I speak to people, that's you know, people feel like they never have enough time. Do you ever feel like you have enough time? Um, I'm still in the post-COVID phase of struggling with too much time. Yeah, but that's a, yeah, that's a different problem. Yeah. Having said that, um, uh. I'm, I feel like I'm managing reasonably well, but I clutter up my day and my mental space with junk that I'm scrolling through. Yes. Or, um, so it's a different kind of busy. I think that, yeah. there are, you know, there is there is busy running around like a crazy person um, doing chores and life admin and stuff. And then there's also cluttering up one's mind with 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 garbage that actually stops us processing stuff. Exactly. And and that that that's very true. So that uh, access to information all the time 24/7 is very distracting and it, it um, takes away 
uh, our capacity because we only have a certain amount of cognitive load. And so that is a dist- is a dist- distraction as well. So yeah, I, can, I absolutely get that. And maybe it makes us feel like, like there's more busyness. I often talk to clients about the information coming into, you know, their inboxes and where they're getting information from. And it's almost like we're a slave to it. Um, and so my clients might say, well, I have to respond to emails, you know, mm. because I value being responsive. And I, I challenge them on that because mm. you can value being responsive, but does that really mean that you have to sit on your inbox and respond to mm. everything, you know, straight away? So, for example, I don't use email that way. People know that that's not how to catch me if you want me to be responsive. I might... I might not respond to an email for two or three days. But if you send me a text message or you call me, different story. So, so you know, I think we've become a slave to some of these systems that were supposed to help us. They were supposed so, to make yeah. life better. I get the sense that instead of flying our planes, we've become air traffic controllers. Exactly. exactly. I, I, also think, I also think being busy can be an excuse from actually doing the deep work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never forgotten a support group that I once ran. I worked I worked with survivors of brain injury in their families for several years. And I remember one particular group that I ran for carers in suburban Sydney. And every time every time the topic turned to something profound and deep that yeah. required uh, one of the people would get up and very noisily make pots of tea for everyone. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so she got yeah. very busy when yes. the deep work was required. And just recently, um, I've been supporting an organisation with some strategic planning. Um, and the leader of that organ of that organisational team started to suggest that they needed to move away from the planning stuff and onto the real work. And I mm. said to them, I said, yeah, let's, you know, we could we could spend the next five ten years in our rubber dinghy scooping out water and being really busy yes or we could get get the boat into dry dock fix up the sail fix up the rudder and the and de-barnacle the keel and actually yeah you know reset our fantastic voyage exactly because planning is work planning is about prioritizing and it's about really getting clear on direction yeah, otherwise you are at, at a task level, you might be doing a lot, but it's not having an impact. And in fact, there's research again in this article, it's great. I'll, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. The research, there's research by Columbia that suggests that we actually perceive others who are busy in, an, in a more uh, admirable way. So we think that people who are busy, they feel in, uh, are important and impressive to us. Uh, so they're morally ad- admirable as well, which is interesting. So we do have this bias, I think, because work has become the significant dominant social status um, in, in, you know, in particularly in modern Western culture. And so, um, you know, there's this sense that, um, you know, we, we people who keep who keep being productive and and working hard, you know, that that's that's the kind of what we what we want all to, all people to achieve. So I, I think see that's it, true. Yeah. I almost well, I don't almost see it. I do see it as as a sign of a societal neurosis. I think being very busy means we don't actually have to focus on meaning, purpose, mm. direction. Mm. Uh, why are we doing this? Mm. Um, but and in fact, though, that's when you 
that's that's a real call out though people are searching for meaning so for example when we look at engagement surveys in organizations that uh, people say that they are you know they do say they're overworked and, and busy and then they say they're finding it hard to find meaning in what they do they mm. want they want that that from leadership actually they kind of look up and they want leadership to connect them into meaningful work and people particularly younger people vote with their feet on that they go to organizations there where they can see that the organizational work is aligned to the things they care about so that meaning i think is still a desire i think we've gotten into habits around busyness and um and you might be right it might be um you know a defense mechanism it might be a mechanism against anxiety as well Mm. so again if i go back to my um my example of responsiveness that's a I, i feel like that's an anxiety response to because anxiety is about um, it's caused from a fear uh, response or being in a fear state. Now, if I have many emails coming in, I may f- I may fear that I won't be responsive enough to those, you yeah. know, might be perceived in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And so I need to respond very quickly. So that's, that's coming from a fear-based approach rather yes. than thinking, where are my strengths today? What's my purpose today? Is answering those emails really linked to that and is there another way that I can be responsive because I'm not suggesting that responsiveness is a ill you know um ill-intended value I think that's a beautiful value to have um but but it's the way in which we're applying that value so I think that there's there is definitely some um habits are formed because we either are avoiding pain or we're fearing loss so definitely habits can can you know be entrenched because of those things there's a great term called ontological security um which i think possibly taps into the times that we're going through where uh you know just the basis of feeling secure in our existence is really under threat perhaps i mean perhaps perhaps at a global level Mm. as never before experienced Mm. by our species and um I think the devices we have have made it worse. We're, we're now privy to so much information. Mm. But also when we look at the Anthropocene, you know, the, the, the impact of climate change, human populations, um, late-stage capitalism, all sorts of things that are actually whittling down meaning and purpose, and but also a sense of stability. And look, I haven't lived through a world war, so mm. and I haven't, mm. I haven't lived through a global I haven't, haven't lived through the Spanish flu. I have lived through COVID, which I mm. think. But I, 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 I think busyness is, is, as you say, possibly a way to adapt or deal with that. Mm. But at an organisational level, I don't know. Like organisations need to, people need to sit down and say, well, how are we doing? Where are we up to? What is I, our dream? What is our vision? That's right. And, and um what's happening at the organizational level because of cultures of busyness in fact it's not it is that ian it is that perhaps there's lots of work being done with little impact because it's not aligned to a unified purpose but the other and the other impact we see at the individual level so we see 
high levels of exhaustion, high levels of, you know, employee turnover, high levels of burnout. And, um, and it also, um, and that, that actually isn't great for business as well. It harms businesses bottom line, obviously, but that, that, and many managers don't know how to deal with burnout because they're in the same cycle as well. Mm. So you see, you've got these really exhausted, um, exhausted employees. And in fact, when you're exhausted, uh, Taking people and trying to motivate them to see the big picture is um, is really demotivating for people who are exhausted. So it's not what they need. Um, and oh, that's I mean, they yeah, they don't. I mean, because they're not going to be motivated to work on necessarily big picture with you. Um, so you've got to lead them there. You've got to but by firstly saying, let's stop what we're doing. And then we'll create space for strategy and let's do. So we often do planning days and strategy days and people are exhausted and you're trying to get them to think into the future and dream into the future. I mean, you know yourself just from an individual mm. level, when you're really tired, it's not a great state for dreaming. It's not a great state for putting your mind into mm. the future with optimism and hope and, and thinking, well, what could we achieve together as a group? So you've got to deal with the exhaustion. And I often say people find it hard in organisations to stop what they're doing, what mm. they're doing because, and also managers and, and um, directors find it very difficult to prioritise work and help people to stop what they're doing. Oh, oh, and sometimes you need to do this in a radical way um, mm. because what underlies that is is a feeling that everything we're doing is important mm. and if we don't continue doing it at this level, we're going to let our colleagues down, we're going to be um, evaluated negatively, etc. Now, I'll tell you something I did. Um, I was um, uh, a general manager at Telstra and I loved the team that I was working with. I jumped into another part of the business and I was responsible for 27 people and when I came into that team they had already gone through three restructures so that you know so that was very challenging you had a lot of people who had been in the team a long time some new people they were exhausted they were on the brink of burnout and um and i kept trying to go to um in in some ways i kept trying to prioritize the work for them saying look this is our strategy these are the priorities what are you doing maybe you can stop doing that but the response was, no, it's all important. I keep getting drawn into these stakeholder meetings with our clients because we were actually um, a bit of a gatekeeper. The team was a gatekeeper. So they felt like they had to be responsive to others. So, you know, good intentions. People don't do this because they have ill intentions. They've, they're good intentions. So what I did as a, you know, as the manager, my responsibility is to deal with this. So what I did... Uh, and I laugh about it because it was radical, but at the, now it kind of feels like it was, in hindsight, it was absolutely the right thing to do. I went to my stakeholders and I said, this team needs a reset. So we are going to stop doing anything but mission critical work for two weeks. And so I, the stakeholders knew about it. And huh. I, I went to my team and I said, there's, there's two of you that are going to stay on mission critical work and we're going to rotate those people. So in other words, two people, the most experienced people will triage, but not, not for the whole two weeks, we'll rotate them and everyone else stop what you're doing. And they were shocked hmm. because they, they said, no, that can't, we're going to break the business. 
And I said, no, it's okay. I've, to- I've spoken to stakeholders. If you feel like something's going to break the business, come to me and I'll, I'll manage that. I'll help you manage that. Well, we didn't break the business. We actually managed the, those two weeks. The stakeholders understood why we were doing that. And in those two weeks, we were able to reset the work so that people mm. didn't feel like they, uh, they had to take on so much. For, so, for example, there were some meetings that people were going to. They didn't need to be there. Mm. There were other ways of getting that information. So, so they started to, because giving them the space to then review what they're doing from a perspective of, how do I do this work in a sustainable way? Because saying yes to everything is not sustainable and it leads to people really experiencing um, and, uh, and uh, burnout. And, you know, all we need to do is look at World Health Organization statistics to know that what we're doing for, in terms of over, the consequences of overwork are, are extreme. They, you know, it, it increases the risk of stroke. It increases the risk of heart disease. Mm. Ultimately, we are killing people. Do <laughs> you really want that on your head? You know, it, I don't. It's not worth it. It's really my favourite gif. If if you if you look into the Giphy uh, list of options, there's one. If you put in hamster wheel, there's one of this hamster running around a uh, a hamster wheel really fast, and eventually it gets caught. Flung, oh no! It's flung out into the air. <laughs> um, I wanted to follow up on something you said about. Uh, I'm just. It just occurs to me that busyness, when applied at an organisational level. I can't tell you how many restructures my when I worked in gov, in a government department, it was like there was a restructure every damn mm, yeah. six months. Yeah. And at the same time, staff were told to be nimble and agile and at the we were we were ready to smack the next person out yes. that told us to be yes. nimble and agile. Yeah. And it occurs to me that endless restructures are just a way of actually avoiding the issues. Am I yeah. am I mistaken there, or is it is it an organisation trying to respond to a rapidly emerging and changing external environment? It could be it's both. a bit of both, right? Yeah, it could be both. It could be both. To be fair, and I think uh, restructure is a way to puncture equilibrium because people change. People won't change uh, unless something in the environment changes. When you restructure. Everyone knows there's a change. And so it's almost like a, you give people permission to do things a little bit differently. However, restructure just on its own without the change management that goes with that, without the actual resetting of purpose for each team, without the resetting of um, ways of working together in teams, um, doesn't lead you to the outcome you're looking for. So that's why sometimes you get multiple restructures because oh just by putting the re- our research on teams shows just by putting to p- people together as a group and calling them a team does not make it so. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you need to do other things to really optimize that level of collaboration that you're after, or perhaps the resetting of direction that you're after, because people will. Um, will you know continue to to just work in the way that they've working because they've had success around that in the past. So we will always do things that have given us you know uh, benefit. So I've had success doing it this way in the past. I'm going to continue to do it in the future unless there's something that really helps trigger some change. Yeah, I can tell you, working in government, managing complex teams as I did. I'm really proud of the work I did in team building and establishing a deep purpose and direction and team camaraderie um, and a sense of vision. 
But then when that team is disbanded, not even 12 months later, because of some change in... I mean, people disengage and they think that when the next team development process comes along, mm-hmm. they, they will think, well, what's the point? Yeah. Um, government stopped giving out business cards because there was a realisation that probably the organisational unit wouldn't exist. Even the department itself wouldn't exist mm-hmm. in 18 months' time. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a form of busyness that... Um, I don't it know if it's adapted. The, yeah, it adds to the complexity, I think. And... You know, the other thing that you're touching on, though, is how do you help people deal with ambiguity? And if you work in government, you're often dealing with uncertainty and ambiguity. Same in the private sector, though. You can you can often deal with um, ambiguity and uncertainty in the private sector. And the way in which we help people do that is by creating um, a, a real unified sense of purpose with with smaller teams on a on an ongoing basis you don't just set it and forget it so you don't you don't just do it at induction or when you have a new hire you have to repeatedly do this with teams i really believe teams are where we're going to make the the real shift here because what also happens at the team level is that social support Mm -hmm. and we know that social support is a protective factor against stress and some of those outcomes around overwork and exhaustion and and just anxiety so if you have in other words what you're trying to do in an organization is create tribes you know create um gather gather people together give them a sense of purpose then work on that on an ongoing basis and and give them the agency to do the work in the way that they want to do it but but in turn in in service of the team people will you know the military have known this forever you don't get soldiers fighting a war for the government or for the president or whoever it is. Soldiers will put their lives on the line for their their mm-hmm. you know their battalion or their their group, their unit. It's the unit. So um, so I think that there's something we can do at that level. And every single team could be looking at this in terms of how do we reduce this busyness together. So you're not blaming yourself as an individual you're not blaming other individuals but what are the ways we could do this together we could have a rule for or you know a norm for example that if we want to communicate each other with each other and we need a quick response it's not email it's okay not to not to be you know so we could have a norm around that and all you'd have to do is communicate it to others this is my norm so tell me, I'm very, I'm really fascinated by the notion of organisational resilience, and mm-hmm. I think resilience is a term of our time. Mm. We're talking about resilient communities in the face of climate change. We're talking about, you know, res- all sorts of different forms of resilience, and I am very interested in the notion of organisational resilience, where yeah. p- organisations don't just bounce back from a challenge; they actually bounce forward. Yes. Yeah. So they become, they come back stronger than ever because yeah. they have a culture of innovation, design, adaptability, and strength and trust. But this dreaded word agility is part of that. Um, But I wonder if being told to be nimble and agile in the absence of of a sense of trust and innovation and belief in the mission and purpose of an organization, I don't know. I I think being told to be nimble and agile in the absence of those things is actually a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's counter, it's counter, counteractive. And what 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 we need are structures. And what I, I'm not talking about 
um, structures you can see. It's those routines and it's those symbols of um, symbols of power in a way that reinforce the culture that you want. So, so what, 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 so again, what are the norms at play here? And, you know, do we have norms that support agility, for example? So in other words, that would be, um, I often work with teams where they need to shift around a lot. There's a lot of ambiguity. They need to be agile. Telling the individuals in that team to be agile is not where the answer is. It's how is the team responding to uncertainty? So for example, do they visualize the work together as a team? Do they talk about the work that they've got ahead of them in the week as a team where they're consulting with each other, not just mm. updating each other, but they're coming oh, yeah. to, to it and saying, how do we as a team cope with this work yeah, this nice. week? Right? And that and that might be, then, then one team member can say, well, actually this week I've got a sick child and I'm not going to be as productive as I, I'd like to be. Uh -huh. And the other team member can say, no problem. You backed me last week. I'm going to back you this nice. week. That's what I think resilience is, you know, uh -huh. in an ideal sense. It's actually taking it to a group level and taking uh -huh. that responsibility to a group level. Because when people have, when, when, we, when we dial it down a bit in terms of the distraction, in terms of this culture of busyness, in terms of the you know, the, the, the being, being almost, you know, imprisoned by busyness, people have time to think about what they're doing, to, to plan what they're doing in a way that really optimizes collaboration and really mm -hmm. optimizes the support they have around them. So it's that, it's actually that. And then at the individual level, there are things you can do. So, you know, because for example, people in a, in a group may have very different ideas about how they prefer their communication style, you know, or some people might might prefer not to be on uh, particular channels and that's fine. But as a team, you need to agree on which is the channel you communicate with internally, which is the channel you communicate externally on. And, you know, what are the what are the agreements around responsiveness, for example? What are the agreements around, you know, sharing the responsibility for outcomes of the work? So, so we don't do that enough. So here's the thing. I think innovation comes around when people have got space for imagination yes, and reflection. Yeah. yeah. Um, recently had a lovely brunch with a couple with an eight-year-old daughter who's awesome. I loved her. We did puzzles <laughs> together. And um, I said, what do you do for fun? And she says, oh, I go to art class, I go to ballet, I go to soccer, I go to this, I go to that. And I say to the parents, What's your role in this? Oh, we're busy being the chauffeur. Yeah. And yeah. I, I said to this kid, do you ever lie on your back in the garden and look at clouds and make make shapes out of them? <laughs> yeah. I don't think she'd ever done that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and no, I mean. Not if she's going to ballet and la, 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 la. It's like, it's classes. almost like we're, we're inoculating, we're creating a culture of business in, yeah. in children. Yes. So yeah. that the. the the, the scope for imagination is not there mm, mm. and they don't get time to be bored. I mean, imagination and creativity comes when you're bored half the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, I, th I feel like we, we are intolerant to boredom. And I'm not sure what that looks like at an organisational mm. level because we're all meant to be busy. No yes. moment is meant to be no, wasted. No, that's right, that's right. But I, I like the yeah. process you described where a team meeting actually allows people to reflect and come up with strategies together. 
Yes. Um, yes. And look at the things that are going on in people's lives outside of their job that enable the team to step in and make exactly. sure we have business continuity. Yeah. And, you know, leaders need to reinforce that in organisations. And some organisations really do this very well. They have they have created space for innovation, for dreaming, for, you know, um, uh, I don't know if ANZ still do this, but I remember ANZ uh, used to allow space for their people to innovate uh uh, on a on a Friday, not every mm. Friday. I think it was once a month, but you know that's kind of. I saying, love that. On a Friday, you can work on on a problem with other people in the organisation. So it was a real. You wow. Know, there was a, a bit of an infrastructure there around. Um, you know, we'll we'll give you time and we'll allow you to reach out to anyone in the organisation to help you solve this problem. So Please tell like, me it didn't involve a ping pong table because I'll didn't involve a ping. I'll go and table. smash something. It didn't involve a ping pong table <laughs> at all. And so, so I think that there, you know, I think organisations are trying to do this, but particularly giving agency to teams is where I think we need to take it down to because you can actually plan for something that's a whole organizational wide strategy, which may not touch people at the team level. And this teams are where the work is done. So bring it down to where the work is done, allow people to, to, to uh, firstly give them permission, give team leaders or managers permission to really prioritize this. So to prioritise the, for example, the retros as well as the planning standards, uh-huh. and um, you know how often how often would managers cancel a stand up because, for example, a, a more important stakeholder needs their time, and I think that that sends uh, the wrong signal. Yeah, because that because what what we need to say is this is the priority. This is what help, mm. helps us really thrive as a team you know and and i think that it's those things it's actually putting yeah it's putting a lens on those things as really critical to Mm. managing the organization Mm -hmm. and and then also you know i think that there are symbols that we can put into organizations to really um quieten down this this understanding that you know this this sort of issue of busyness um there should be for example um you know, things in our environment that remind us to maybe slow down, to that remind us to um, you know take take stock and 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 just watch or or you know involve our other senses. Um, and you know, I think organisations have tried that through wellness programs and things like that. Yeah. But again, not it's not one size fits all. It's and it's interesting, to be truly nimble and agile, you've actually got to have space to be creative and exactly. innovative. And the exactly. two, you can't be busy and do that at the same time. No, that's right. And you need spaces in your workplace. So people that are working in, you know, the built environment in, in offices, you need to create spaces that are conducive to that. You know, so the, the furniture, the colours, you know, windows, um, open spaces, all of that tends to... Um, tends to really be enable that creativity as does natural surfaces so the one thing you can do is you know get a wooden table um, put some stone on the on the ground if you if you you know in in organizations and that really again brings us back to something that's that reminds us to slow down a bit having child care on site helps too and a supermarket downstairs where you can do your shopping and <laughs> A train station just around the corner. That's right. That's right. Exactly. The neighbourhood. 
Um, but anyway, Ian, we've run out of time. I'm yeah, I'm so busy to... now. I've got to yeah, go to my I... next appointment. I know, Sorry. I'm so busy. <laughs> um, but anyway, lovely to speak to you, and we'll, we'll speak again very soon. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Bye.